for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Hallelujah. We are so grateful for the work that God is doing in our hearts tonight. Hallelujah. So grateful for the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts tonight. Amen. Chapter 10, join me there tonight. If you do not have a Bible, you can lift up your hand and uh, our ushers will get a Bible for you. Is there anybody who needs a Bible? Here's one over here. Anybody need a Bible tonight? Jeremiah chapter 10, glory to God. I am always amazed at the power of God to bring guidance and wisdom and understanding as I prepare messages for His people. How many believe tonight that church is more than just a gathering of people together in a common place? I believe tonight that what we do here on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and on Wednesday nights is truly a transformational thing. It is something that God is preparing and He begins to order our steps in ways to prepare us for what He wants to do. When you come to church tonight, you've got to come with more than just the expectation, I'm going to sing a few songs and see a few people. As soon as you step in that door tonight, you've got to remember that God is going to do something, that God is going to speak that you're going to have a meeting with God. And I was reminded of that today. Uh, as some of you might know, I, I like to listen to podcasts. I like to uh, fill my mind with information. And uh, I like to be informed and inspired. Many times I get inspired about, about certain topics by listening uh, to, the, to these uh, various speakers. And uh, today I was listening to a certain podcast, uh, it's called uh, Wall Builders with David Barton, and he did an uh, uh, interview with, with, uh, with a president of a certain uh, university, and it's the University of Oklahoma. The name of that president is Dr. Everett Piper. Anybody heard of the name? Uh, Everett Piper is a real gift to the body of Christ. I would encourage you to find him out and uh, read some of his books. But he did an interview with Dr. Everett Piper that, that, uh, that I found very interesting, and I thought, wow, that's a, that's a great topic, and, and uh, I'll be sharing some of the things that he spoke about. And, uh, and so later on in the day, I'm, I'm driving, and I'm coming back, and so I turn on my Bible app, right? The Bible app is such a blessing because you can just hit the play button, and it reads the Bible to you. Boy, how lazy we are in this generation. And you can just push the button and the Bible will read itself to you. And you still don't read the Bible. What's wrong with you? No. Um, 
So I'm listening to my Bible plan. I have a couple that I listen to uh, as often as I can, a couple times a day. And, uh, and so as I'm listening to the Bible, I'm, I'm amazed because the scriptures that I'm hearing in my ears are exactly the same scripture that Dr. Everett Piper was speaking about on that podcast. Now, of all the scriptures in the Bible, you know, 20,000 plus scriptures, how is it possible that I, in the same day I can hear an interview from a university president and from my Bible plan, the same scripture coming out, how many tonight believe and understand that God speaks with repetition? That is not a coincidence. There is no such thing. I don't believe in coincidence tonight. I believe that tonight God wanted me to speak on this topic because He began to repeat it in my ears. And so tonight I want to share with you a challenge. We live in a time of great confusion. How many know that tonight? We live in a time where, uh, where good is becoming evil and evil is becoming good. Right is becoming wrong and wrong is becoming right. This is a mark of great confusion in our time. And uh, what, what Dr. Piper was speaking about in his interview today uh, is leading us to a very strong conviction. And I want, to, I, I want to remind you that in this time, in this hour that you are living, listen, God, you know, sometimes we long for days that have gone by or we imagine ourselves, if only I could have lived during the time that Jesus was alive. Or if only we could have been part of the American Revolution. Or, you know, we, we often long and wonder and, and, and think about what would it be like to live in another time. But can I remind you tonight, God has chosen you to live in this time. You have been called. Like Esther said, you have been called to live for such a time as this. You are called to be the Christian generation during this crazy and confused time that we live in. The scripture we're about to read is a, is a scripture from the book of Jeremiah. If you've ever read Jeremiah, you know that he brought a lot of bad news. They call Jeremiah, his nickname in the Old Testament is the weeping prophet. And it's not because Jeremiah was more emotional than the rest. The reason Jeremiah was weeping so much is because almost every message that he had for the, for the people of Israel was a message of woe, destruction, difficulty, and judgment. And he was so sad that it was his time when he began to do what God called him to do, he had a hard job to do. And what we find in our scripture tonight is we find the prophet Jeremiah bringing a judgment on the leaders of his culture. And I want to share this with you because we're going to find a key tonight about how to live in this crazy time that we're living in. All right, you with me tonight? Let's read this scripture, Jeremiah 10, verse 21. For the shepherds, everybody say shepherds. Shepherds are the leaders of any generation. He says, the shepherds have become dull Hearted. Now, if you are reading maybe another uh, translation, there's a better word for dull-hearted. I'm going to replace that word with a different translation, and I'm going to replace it with the word stupid. 
okay, because that will get your attention. Okay, so let's start this again. For the shepherds have become stupid and have not sought the Lord. Therefore, they shall not prosper. And all their flocks shall be scattered. This is a fitting description of the generation that we're living in tonight. And I want to bring this truth out to you. This is a message I've titled, Stupid Shepherds and Scattered Sheep. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. We thank you for your power and your grace tonight. I'm praying, Lord, for your wisdom and your strength to preach this message with conviction. I pray tonight for your people that are hearing these words. God, that you would strengthen us to live in this hour, in this crazy time that we are living in. I'm praying, God, that you would make us bold as lions, that we can stand as light in the darkness, that we can be the people you've called us to be tonight. We need you desperately in this place. In Jesus' mighty name, God's people would say, Amen. Amen. Let's begin by looking tonight at dull-hearted or stupid shepherds. Okay, I'm going to need your uh, attention tonight. I don't need any talking back there in the back row, please. I appreciate that. Let's look at these shepherds that uh, Jeremiah began to speak about. In order to show you tonight why the shepherds are stupid in our generation, first we need to understand what good leadership looks like. And I want to share with you biblical understanding of what shepherds ought to be. In other words, leaders. We're talking about leaders tonight. And when we talk about leadership, the Bible gives us this fantastic image of what leaders are supposed to be, and that is the image of shepherds. A shepherd, of course, is the one who takes care of the sheep. Now, in, uh, in modern-day America, you don't see shepherds anymore. You know, shepherds have been replaced by fences, They've been replaced by uh, RFID tags, have been placed by, replaced by geolocation and GPS and satellite technology. And, and so, you know, we have, we have outmoded the shepherd. But, you know, when we lived in Bulgaria, we got to see some real shepherds. Some of you who've been to third world countries, you've seen shepherds. Shepherds are, uh, are people who literally watch after a group of sheep or a flock of sheep. And this is the image that God used to describe what good leaders should actually be doing. John chapter 10, Jesus spoke about this shepherd leadership. Listen carefully when he says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the devil. But Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees the wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. So the wolf attacks and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. Just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father, and so I, I sacrifice my life for the sheep. This is what good leadership looks like tonight. Have you ever worked on a job where the boss was a jerk? <laughs> where they don't hold people accountable? Where things are not fair? Where people are treated terribly? Listen, on your job, you already understand what a good leader looks like right? 
Someone who uh, listens to the people that they're in charge of. Someone who treats people right. And so what, what you long for, whether you know this or not, when you work a job, you're hoping to find a leader who's like a shepherd. Maybe when, you're, uh, when you are going to school. Uh, what you would love to have is a teacher who's in charge of the classroom who is like a shepherd, who leads. Like, if you're uh, in your family, uh, you want your, your father or your mother to treat you like a shepherd, a good shepherd, would treat their sheep. This is what good leadership looks like. And Jesus gave us a couple of clues about what good shepherds do. And I want you to hang with me as I build this foundation tonight. The first thing that a good shepherd does is that he gives purpose. This is what Jesus said as he began to describe the good shepherd. He said, my purpose is to give them, the sheep, a rich and satisfying life. In other words, Jesus says, the good shepherd is not just living for himself. The good shepherd is looking out for the safety and the well-being of his sheep. I have come to give them a good life. That's what Jesus came to do. Can you say amen? amen. The good shepherd uh, is one who takes care of his sheep. He's thinking about his sheep. He's not just thinking about the moment. He's not just thinking about his own safety. He's thinking about the sheep. A good leader thinks about those who are under his authority. Okay, so that's, that's number one about a good leader. The second thing that a good leader does is that they give value to those who are under their leadership. Jesus said in verse 11 of this scripture that the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Imagine this. If... Uh, they have done some uh, uh, the, the market analysis of, of, a, of a typical farm in America. And uh, if you wanted to go out and buy a horse today, you wanted to go out and buy a horse, you know how much you would pay for a horse, a decent horse today? It's worth about $5,000. That's a pretty good little chunk of change. And that's before you even talk about feeding the thing. So $5,000 to buy a horse. How much do you suppose would you pay for a sheep on a typical farm here in America. They say that compared to the horse, $5,000, a sheep is worth about $250. So not much, right? You see the value is not, not great. Compared to a, you know why? Because a horse is very, very helpful. A horse can be used for all kinds of situations. A horse is strong, it's powerful. A horse has a personality, kind of like a dog. They're very smart. They can be trained. They can be ridden. They can pull equipment. Uh, what does a sheep do for you? It makes wool. And maybe some milk. <laughs> but for the most part, the sheep does not produce much for the, for the farm. The nice thing about them is that they're docile. They're easy, fairly easy to take care of. And so you see the value between the two. If you lose a sheep to sickness or disease, you know, it's not the end of the world. Sheep can be easily replaced. But here's what Jesus says. A good shepherd, a good leader, lays down his life for the sheep. What does he say about them? He says that these sheep, even though they are replaceable, even though that they will 
uh, easily die, even though they're not worth much in the eyes of the world. He says, I'm willing to lay down my life for them. What does that do for the sheep? It increases their value, okay? So the good leader understands that there is value in the people that he leads. This is true. So no matter what arena, I believe here tonight God has a role of leadership for you somewhere. You are leading someone tonight. Can I remind you that you are a leader? If you are a father, if you're a husband tonight, you are leading your family, aren't you? If you are a mother, you're a woman in your house, you're married, then you are still a leader because you are leading your children, aren't you? Especially if you have daughters. Moms in this place, you are leading your children. If you're not married, you're a single person in this place, uh, there are younger people, there are younger singles in the church who are looking to your example. You are a leader also. God has given every person in this place some measure of leadership. That's why it's so important that we understand how to lead well. And so tonight, what I'm telling you, good leaders, Jesus told us, know how to give value to the people that are under their leadership, as a good shepherd does. Thirdly, we see about a good shepherd, is that he knows how to protect. Verse 12 says, uh, the hired hand will run when he sees a wolf. He will abandon those sheep because they they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. Jesus is comparing the good shepherd to to just the hired hand, someone who's only there for a paycheck. If a wolf shows up, or if a pack of wolves show up, and they start chasing down the flock, you know what the hired hand does? He runs. But the good shepherd, what does he do? He stands up for his sheep. He protects them. He stands between the sheep and the danger. A good leader knows how to bear the brunt of an attack. This is something that that men especially are geared, that should be geared towards, is protecting their wives and their families. Can I tell you something tonight? Men in this place, you need to be protectors. And ladies, you need to let your husband protect your family. That is a huge issue I see in our generation, is is men need to be protectors, need to know how to commit and protect their family. That's what a good shepherd does. And finally, the the image of the shepherd also shows us that a good leader, a good shepherd, knows his sheep. Jesus says, I know my sheep, and they know me. In other words, there is connection, there is knowledge, there is relationship. A good shepherd can't be a good shepherd from a thousand miles away. Are you with me tonight? A good shepherd, a good leader, has to have understanding and relationship with those that he leads. It's, Jesus did not say, I know how many num- uh, how, the number of my sheep. I know, uh, I know what they look like. No, he says, I know each one personally. I know their strengths. I know their flaws. I know their advantages and their disadvantages. I know which ones can run fast, and I know which ones are a little hefty. Don't run so fast. I know which ones are prone to sickness. I know which ones are prone to wander. If I take them near this place, i got to watch that one because he always turns off the trail. See, the shepherd knows his sheep. A good leader knows about those who are under his leadership. Men, we can be very distant. 
It's all right. We can be honest tonight. We, we can get distracted with uh, the pursuit of wealth, and we can forget that we have children in our house that desperately need our leadership. In, uh, in any arena of leadership, it will help you tonight to know intimately the people that you lead. Now, this is where we come to. Now that we see what a good leader looks like, in our scripture that we started with in Jeremiah, Jeremiah begins to speak about the shepherds of his generation, the leaders of the people of Israel during his time, and here's his comment on them. He says, the shepherds have become stupid. Now, that's an interesting word in the Hebrew. The dull-hearted foolish is the most common word in the book of Proverbs. But the, the more modern word that we use today, which fits very well, is the word stupid. Now, I want to tell you tonight, when I say the word stupid, or we, whenever you read the word foolish in the Bible, don't, don't take that as lack of intelligence. We're not talking about people who are not educated. These are not ignorant people. There's a difference between ignorance and stupid. You know what the difference is tonight? I think I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Ignorance can be fixed. Ignorance is a lack of knowledge can be fixed through education. That's not such a bad thing. But stupid is something else. Stupid means dumb on purpose. Stupid means I don't know and I don't want to know. And that's what Jeremiah says about the leaders of his day. He says that they have become foolish, dull-hearted, or stupid. Who are the leaders that he is speaking about in his generation? He's speaking about the fathers. He's speaking about the mayors, the governors, the pastors, the priests. He's speaking about the leaders of the nation. I want to tell you tonight that I believe with all my heart that this is the mark of our generation too. That there are, there are leaders in our generation that have become foolish and stupid. And the reason is in our Scripture, it says, because they have not sought the Lord. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, that The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Romans 1 verse 28 even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. Jesus called out the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and He called them blind guides. He said in Matthew 23, verse 24, those who strain out the gnat and swallow a camel. What a wonderful image that Jesus, He is, he is speaking to these uh, the, the, the blind guides, the stupid leaders of his generation, he says, you're so worried about the little teeny tiny things. And at the same time, you're allowing wickedness to happen all around you. This is the definition of so many leaders in our generation today. And so I want to tell you about the scattered generation that we're living in today. And I'm going to get specific here in a minute. This is going to be more than just an abstract sermon. I want you to understand the confusion that we're living in and the reason for it. Because there is so much confusion, it has led to a whole generation. Basically, everybody, uh, not everybody, but many people under the age of 30 
are very confused in our generation. Very confused. And I would describe them as scattered sheep, just as Jeremiah did. It is because the shepherds have become stupid and have not sought the Lord, the flocks will be scattered. We are seeing today the result of uh, foolish decisions that have been made over the last 40 to 50 years in America. And now we have a generation very, very scattered. I, uh, I admittedly, I watch too much news. I listen to too much news. <laughs> I uh, like to stay up to date with what's going on in our government and in our culture, in the world today. And I, if you are like me, listening to a news report is like constantly getting hit by a two-by-four. You read a headline on Yahoo or on whatever your news source is, and it's like, is this a joke? Is this for real? Is, could that really be the truth of what is happening? And then you be, continue to read and you figure out that, oh my goodness, it is true. I just saw a headline the other day. What was it? About a few weeks ago. That here's a, here's a, a, a dude who has convinced himself that he's a woman. And so he, and he signed up to be in a, in a race. It was a, a female, I forget if it was a biathlon or something. It was some kind of a, a race. And so obviously, uh, because he's bigger and stronger than all the other women, he wins the race. The women's so the, here they are. He wins the women's race and everybody's clapping. Yay, the man dressed up like a girl won the girl's race. And you read a headline like that, and it's like, could this possibly be something that's true? And the world is celebrating it? It's so frustrating to me and confusing. And I want to explain to you why we are seeing such strange things in our generation. Can I do that for you tonight? Let's begin. Let's talk about the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment was something that took place in the 1700s. It was a time that took place after great revival had sprung out in Europe, and uh, which led into America. And the Enlightenment was a revolution of three things. Stick with me tonight. We're going to get somewhere powerful if you just hold on. The Enlightenment was about three topics. It was faith, reason, and science. In the 16 and 1700s, there was an explosion in those three areas, faith, reason, and science. Those were the three things that brought about the enlightenment. Those are the things that brought the world out of the dark ages. Those are the things that began to cause the welfare, the general welfare of the world to begin increasing. Those are the things that, that produced the Western way of life that we are benefactors of tonight. It was a stool. And on the stool, the stool has three legs. And those are the legs, faith, reason, and science. Pull one of those away, and it cannot stand. The Western world was built on those three things. And it used to be that we all recognized that, that without faith, without reason, and without science, the Western world cannot go forward. Out of these three ideas came the Constitution, the idea, the American experiment, the Bill of Rights, freedom of speech. These are the things, these were built upon the foundation 
of the Enlightenment. Never before in all of human history had slavery been outlawed. But this is the thing that led to the process of the abolition of slavery, first in England and then here in America. We fought a whole civil war to bring an end to slavery in the United States. What an amazing thing. How could this happen in America and not in Sweden? How could it happen here and not in Botswana? You know what I'm saying? The reason that it happens here in the Western world is because of this enlightenment, faith, reason, and science produced a world where right was right and wrong was wrong. And even if we have to tear ourselves apart to fight what is right, that's what America did. The most deadly war in American history still to this day was the Civil War. And I want you to think about for a moment the glorious results of this enlightenment. It brought the world to a place of hope, prosperity, and peace. It was the enlightenment, those factors that brought the world into modernity. the, The modern world was defined by those three things. Now, since the 1960s, I'm giving you a little history lesson here. There was another force at work, and it was something called post-modernism. The modern world was built on faith, reason, and science. Now, you, maybe you've heard about post-modernism. What is post-modernism? Maybe you've heard about it in your art class. It was the time that, that looked back at the Enlightenment, at the Renaissance, and it said, oh, that, that stuff is just, well, we don't like that stuff anymore, so we're going to take a paint can and toss it up against the canvas, and we're going to say, whoa, it's beautiful. That's called postmodern art. It's not the works of da Vinci and Michelangelo, the Sistine Chapel. That, that was really beautiful stuff. But now we're going, to take, uh, we're going to take Coke cans and we're going to take beer bottles and we're going to put green slime over them and we're going to say, whoa, that's amazing. We're going to drop a rock and let it break and then take a picture and say, oh, let's pay $50,000 for that and hang it up on the wall. That is the idea of postmodernism. It is the idea of separating from the beauty of the past and redefining it. Another way we could say that is the rejection of everything that the Enlightenment produced. It's a rejection of faith, rejection of reason, and a rejection of science. And that's what we're seeing today. For the last 40 to 50 years, postmodernism has been tearing the culture apart by rejecting everything the Enlightenment brought to the world. Have you heard in the last week, you know, there's all these uh, fires that are breaking out in California. And uh, it's terrible. It's a tragedy. And, uh, and so from the left, from some commentators on the left and CNN, there was uh, one guy especially who, who began to mock the idea of thoughts and prayers. Have you heard this movement lately? And they'll, they'll come out and they'll say thoughts and prayers. Because that's typically what, uh, uh, you know, what, what we would say if you could put a microphone in your face. Our thoughts and our prayers are with those in California right? And their families. And so uh, this guy uh, gets in front of a camera on CNN and he begins to mock that. And he says, thoughts and prayers, give me a break. If all you're going to do is think and pray and not do anything about it, then I don't want to hear about your thoughts and prayers. He begins to mock people who believe in prayer. It means nothing. It's, 
And, I, and this, is, this is the idea that is being, it is a rejection of faith. It's saying that your thoughts and your prayers are meaningless. I was just the other day, sometimes uh, part of my job is sometimes I have to go onto a military base uh, to fix some of their computer equipment. And the other day I was there, it's at the, uh, the daycare facility. They have these child development centers on the, on the military bases. And so I, um, the equipment that I'm working on, it's a little kiosk and, that I repair. And so I'm working on this kiosk, and it, it happens to be in their training room. Okay, so get the picture here. They're having a meeting. There's somebody up at the front. Uh, I'm at the back of the room, and the person's up at the front. They've got tables on both sides. And so they've got these caretakers. They're, they're training them for how they're going to handle the upcoming holiday season. And so the person's up there giving them their little presentation, and they begin talking about holiday seasons. and say, this is how we're going to handle it. Okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have celebrations for Christmas, for, uh, for Kwanzaa, for uh, uh, Hanukkah, and he says, all of the holiday season. So somebody over here, I'm just over there working. I'm trying not to speak up, you know. And so this person over here says, are we going to put up Christmas trees? And the leader says, oh, no, no, no. We're going to put up holiday trees. And right there, I, 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 <laughs> I had to res- restrain myself, okay? I had to practice some serious restraint. Because what I wanted to do was throw down my tools and say, what's wrong with you people? It's a Christmas tree. Why do we have to fight about this holiday tree? What holiday are we talking about anyway? It's a rejection of anything that has to do with Christ in the name of inclusivity, right? But really at the core, this is a rejection of faith. We see also in our world today the rejection of reason. Things that used to be common sense aren't so common anymore, are they? This, uh, this uh, university doctor, the, the president of uh, the Wesleyan uh, University in Oklahoma, he says this, professors on college campuses from coast to coast are hired to teach and model critical thinking, and yet they ridicule and silence students who dare to express critical thoughts. He says, now socialism gains popularity in America while we are watching in real time Venezuela collapsing under the weight of that same socialism. It's like you you think that we could look at what's happening there and understand that we can't, you know, that we, we, we shouldn't go toward that. And yet socialism continues to get more and more popular. We are now living in a generation where men are called toxic. Have you heard of that? Toxic masculinity. Why? Simply because they are male and not female. Not because they've done anything wrong. And so this is what it is. This is a rejection of clear common sense and reason. Finally, we're seeing now a rejection of science. (laughs) Incredible to me. Biological men are being praised for winning sports competitions reserved for women. As I mentioned, this story is so crazy to me. It doesn't matter what the birth certificate says. You can choose whatever gender fits you. I just looked up 
uh, I was looking at um, something online and it said official genders for the state or for the city, New York City. Uh, according to the, the uh, government of New York City, there are 31 official genders that you can choose for yourself. 31. So it's something that's fluid. So it's like, you know, it's like a pair of socks. You can pick one one day and, and uh, a different one the next day. And what this really comes down to, again, is the postmodern idea that we can reject science. We can reject what biology says. I quote again from Dr. Piper's article. He says, our, our nation's leaders and mainstream media are lurching from one absurdity to another. Following the day's news causes you to suspect you might be reading fiction as opposed to journalism that is accurate and true. But here are some headlines under the banner of women's rights. Women are curiously silent as they continue to lose their right to have their own bathrooms. Fascists persist in condemning everyone by calling them fascists. Bigots criticize other bigots for being bigots. <laughs> racists condemn racists, racists while defending the superiority of their own race. Sexists march for the end of sexism. Parents continue to spend tens of thousands of dollars to send sons and daughters off to colleges that mock their values. This is the real problem. This is leaders, this is shepherds who have become so stupid and it leads to scattered sheep. Hosea 4.6, God says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected me, I will also reject you from being priest. And so this is the generation we're living in. The generation of leaders who have failed to lead and it has led to such a scattered and lost generation. And I want to close tonight by speaking about the light in the darkness. I've often said for the last several years that our culture is descending dark deeper and deeper into darkness, confusion, lack of knowledge. And the further down that we go, you know, I, I read a statistic the other day, and it said that it, for those in the millennial generation, that's people born between the years nine, uh, 1984 and 1995, something like that. For the millennial generation, you do a, a survey of their morality and their ethics, they today, they believe it is more important for you to treat the world kindly and recycle your plastics. For them, that is a higher priority ethically than it is sexual purity. For them, pornography is just something normal and every day, no problem. But if you're not recycling your tin cans, then there's a real problem that we need to talk about. For them, that's, that's, that's the highest priority on their list. And what that is, is evidence of scattered sheep that continue to be lost in the darkness. But I have good news for you tonight. The darker our culture becomes, the more powerful your light can shine. The more powerful the truth becomes. When people recognize truth with a capital T, 
people will recognize it. People will see it and understand that there is more here than just human intuition. See, our temptation is just to get angry and rage, right? Our temptation is to read these headlines and, and it strikes us as so crazy and weird that all we want to do is yell at them. You stupid idiots, right? But that's not, what we, that's not going to help anybody. Our temptation is just to shout at people, but the real answer tonight is, listen carefully, something that's harder than that. It is to be good shepherds. It is to be the good shepherd that Jesus taught us about, the one who cares for his flock, who knows his sheep, who takes the time to, uh, to labor for them and put value on them. Can I tell you that th this generation that is growing up now, what they desperately desire more than anything is authenticity. They want it to be real. Many millennials, the millennial generation have a hypocrisy meter. They can point it at people and tell when you're putting on a game or a face. If we as the people of God, if we could be authentic in our faith and be real and share our testimony to be light in the darkness, there's incredible opportunity in this generation. Our temptation is just to shout, to be angry. But I believe in this generation, the real answer for us is to be good shepherds, is to lead people to Christ. Hasn't that always been the goal? And so we can, we can shake our fists and we can, we can, uh, we can be angry when, when people do stupid things, but that's not going to win this generation. Our other temptation is to just sit down and be quiet. To see that the, the culture is moving one way and just say to ourselves, well, throw up our hands, not much we can do here. But I believe the church, that's exactly what the church has been doing for the last 40 to 50 years. The church has been too quiet. The church has been throwing up its hands saying, what can we do in the light of so much foolishness? And it's to our own demise. We are losing the, the next generation we as a church can't be silent. We've got to speak out. Like Jeremiah. To be a voice that cries in the wilderness. Like Jeremiah in a time when his culture was going off the deep end and all he was called to do. Can I tell you, Jeremiah, he preached for years and years and years and nobody listened to him. How'd you like that job? How'd you like that calling? He didn't have any... I mean, at the end of his ministry, he had not much to show for it. But what he did do was he was faithful to what God called him to do. What about you tonight? In a generation that is losing its mind, that is rejecting all of the things that, that, that our society was built on, our temptation is just either to be quiet and shut, shut up and don't talk about it, or to rage and, and let out a frustration in Facebook comments. But tonight, the real thing that's going to change this generation is if we simply live an authentic faith. If we will be bold in our testimony. If we'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because that gets people's attention. We need to redeem those who are in the darkness. Can you say amen tonight? In a time where so many shepherds have lost their minds and leads to scattered sheep, it creates an environment 
that is helpful to the gospel. And I believe in this time, you know, uh, as, as more and more time passes by, fewer and fewer people know scriptures, fewer and fewer people who have visited a church in their life, then your testimony becomes more and more powerful. Are you prepared for the revival that God is going to spark in this nation? I believe that there is a third great awakening on the horizon. I believe that God from this congregation, that there are leaders in this place that if you would prepare your life, you could become a disciple maker, a good shepherd for those who are being saved in times to come. Can you believe God for that tonight? Can you believe God for this city when our country and when our culture begins to break down in the seams, there's going to be a great and desperate need for truth. Is that truth living in you tonight? Or are you just on the sidelines watching and waiting for someone else? You tonight, we as a church, we need to be the light that shines in the darkness. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight as we bring this service to a close. And as we observe the world going deeper and deeper into darkness, you and I are called to be the light that shines. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.